Tonight is September 23rd, 2015. The title of tonight's message is One Day. Everybody say One Day. One day. As we know, uh, uh, this is such an incredible day today. Uh, Ten days ago was Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the beginning of the Hebrew New Year. Pastor Eric spoke on that, I believe, uh, a week Sunday, uh, a week ago Sunday. Today, ten days later, is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. I wish I'd have had the board here tonight. I, one, one of the things, I know this is so simple, this is so cheesy, but it's a Day of Atonement. When you write out the word atonement, what do you get? You get at one minute. We're, we're being atoned. I, I love the, the title for, for uh, Treaster's message the other day, Radical as Salt. I was like, oh, I love it. It's brilliant. When you look at Day of Atonement, I honestly always think of it's the day where we can be at one with the Lord. It's an, inc- it's an incredible thing. Um, so as you guys know, this, the start of the year, there was 10 days where there was supposed to be introspection for the people. Uh, I have a friend who is, um, she works in the apartment industry and uh, we were talking on Monday from some different things. She's a trainer for a particular company. And uh, she said, well, I'm going to be off on Wednesday. And I was like, oh, you're taking the day off. She's like, well, I don't know that I'm taking the day off, but I won't be at work. And I was like, oh, I said, it's Yom Kippur. I was like, you're celebrating Yom Kippur. She's like, yes, yes, I am. She's like, I'll be fasting and, and we'll be in the synagogue all day long. And I was like, hey, man. I can't wait till she can get back in the office because I'm going to, uh, I was looking up all my Hebrew phrases, you know, do you wish somebody happy Yom Kippur? No, you don't really wish them happy Yom Kippur. It's a, it's a more solemn, somber thing, but you wish them things like easy fast. So I looked that up in the Hebrew and easy fast. Hope you have an easy fast today. You know, hey, I pray that the Lord may inscribe your name in his book today. Oh, um, the reason I'm excited about this is because I feel like uh, I, I was really having trouble studying for this because it is the heart of the gospel. And so there are so many, I call them rabbit trails, there are so many different things that you could study and just kind of go off in a lot of different directions. I hope to stay on focus tonight. Um, I was listening to a Jewish rabbi today, uh, Yaakov Volby. Volby. Um, I'm sure I'm massacring his name there, and I apologize for that, for, for the rabbi, but he was talking about the Day of Atonement. Uh, very witty, brilliant man, as you're just listening to him talk. And he said two things that I thought was interesting. The Day of Atonement, from his perspective, uh, this is not a messianic person, this is a rabbi. And he said, it's the day where God is most likely to forgive us. In the Jewish calendar, this is the day. This is from his point of view. He's saying, this is the day that we consider that God is most likely to forgive us. Ready for this? And the, the day that God is most likely to seal our judgment for the next year. Typical Hebrew fashion, typical Jewish fashion. You almost think that those are two opposite things, but they hold on to both very equally and go, yep, this is exactly what it is. It's the day that God is most likely to forgive us. And it's the day that he's most likely to seal his judgment upon us for the next year. What a great day that would be. If you have to go to court tomorrow, don't you hope that your judge is in a good mood? Right? When you were in college and you had the professor, if you're like me, all of the friends would go, have you had this person? Have you had this person? Everybody goes, don't get that guy. 
He's always mad. He's the toughest guy around. And you try to find those things. In this day of judgment, it's the day of judgment and it's a day that God is trying to get at the hearts of people. Let's turn. Let's, let's see kind of where all this began. Let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Let's see where the need for the Day of Atonement <laughs> began. I don't know if you have a title in your Bible, if it, if it gives you a listing of what this chapter is about. In my Bible it says, The Golden Calf. Why are you starting with the Day of Atonement? Well, because here's really where these things began. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, let us make gods who will go before us. Now, folks, Moses was gone for 40 days. <laughs> he, had just, he had just done a ceremony before he went up on the mountain. He's been gone for 40 days, and people are going, Well, I guess we're done with Moses. We've got to move on now. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Um, have you ever known someone who kind of jumps to the wrong conclusion? You might even agree with them on the first part of it, and then they jump to some other weird thing. That's what they do here. Well, Moses let us out. He's been gone for a few days. Let's make another God! Seriously. We don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that, you, that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Look at the next phrase. Fashioning it with a tool. I'd just like to call your attention to that little phrase. We'll come back to it later. Fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, uh, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Really? So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Moses is not having to look at these things. He's with, he is in the presence of God. God just tells them exactly what's going on, right? They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Um, this is a pretty egregious offense, folks. Forty days. Can you remember 40 days ago from now? I can. I can go figure out what that date is and look at it on the calendar and go, I didn't remember what I was doing there. If I can't remember, I can look in the calendar and figure out what I was doing. In 40 days, they went from getting taken out, Moses going up to have this time with God, in 40 days their heart was revealed. They not only made an idol, they not only worshipped to the idol, they sacrificed to this idol and said, this, this golden calf is the guy that brought us out of Egypt. It's pretty egregious. It's incredibly egregious. It is so egregious that we're going to read, and you guys know the story, but literally God says, fine, 
I'll wipe you all out. He, he just uh, brought them out of Egypt. He just, by his mighty hand and his, his, his great power, he split the Red Sea. He destroyed through ten plagues against the Egyptians. He mocked their gods and said, I am the true God. Come and be with me. He's moving heaven and earth for them, and now he's going, Really? You want to go do this to me? Verse 9, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone. It's an interesting English phrase right there. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you a great nation. Moses, uh, you're here. I'll just start over with you. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. You want to know why Moses is such an important leader in, in, for the Israelites? He is literally... We see how much he's representing Jesus, right? Standing between God and the people and saying, please, please, Father, would you have mercy on them? They don't deserve it in any way, but would you allow me to stand in their gap for them? But Moses sought the favor of the Lord as God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them on the mountaintop and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all the land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Everybody say forever. forever. Then the Lord relented. I'm so glad the Lord has an ability to relent when we don't deserve it. That deserved a better amen than that, but we're going to go on. Moses turned and went down the mountain and saw the two tablets. He hasn't even seen the, the, the incident yet. He hasn't even seen the people yet. He turns, goes down the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. Is the picture in your mind that it's on both sides? Mine wasn't. I have this, I don't know, Cecil B. DeMille view. <laughs> right? Apparently it was front and back, just like the Scripture says. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. I'm so glad that we're a church that doesn't look at the law and say, oh, law was bad. Grace is good. God's saying, hey, I did this work. I believe that while I was gone, I heard Pastor Eric preach a message. And I remember two signs, a speed limit sign and a bridge height sign. We look at it like the speed limit. <laughs> I can go, really? This is kind of a suggestion. A Jew would look at it and say, this is the reality. You can decide what you like. It doesn't matter if there's a police officer or not. It is 13 feet 7 inches. If you've got a 14-foot rig, you're in trouble. It's a law that's designed to show us the way to live. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. God, what is all this commotion going on? Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. Hey folks, when you look at outright defiance to God, you should be angry. 
you should be angered when you see people. That is sometimes the absolute perfect approach to say, what are you doing? When someone is defaming and they're turning their back on the Lord with such veracity, with such intensity, if you look at it and are passive toward it, perhaps you become part of the sin that's going on. You've got to stand up. You've got to be bold against what's wrong. He, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces. He was not surprised because God had told him what was coming. And yet, when he saw the depravity, it, he burned with anger. He took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink. That's an interesting way to handle that, isn't it? Threw it in the fire, ground it to powder, and then stuck it in the water. <laughs> I was reminded of another time where something was ground up, where dust was thrown into water and someone had to drink it. It was the way that they would handle a potential unfaithful wife. God is evoking this picture of, you've been unfaithful to me. You have cheated on me, the God of all creation. I've been nothing but faithful to you. The picture in, um, in Numbers chapter 5, the woman would do, were to drink and if she were guilty, her stomach, her, her thigh would, would waste away and her stomach would become bloated. And she would live, and it would be a mark against her that she had been unfaithful to her husband. This bitter water would cause a physical reaction. That which used to bring life was marked against. <laughs> this is happening here, and God's saying, you remember? You know, you, you know about what's going to go on? Verse 21, He said to Aaron, Why, uh, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. Wait, what? Seriously. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Liar. He worked on it with a tool earlier, right? Verse 4 or whatever that was. Hey, he, we all know that that's not the case. He's standing before Moses. I would not be the, want to be the first human being that's talking to Moses after he came down from the mountain in this state. Moses, uh, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. Folks, when we don't abide by the Word of God, we become a laughingstock. When we run wild and we don't understand even if everyone else around us is running wild. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. All the Levites rallied to him. One group. There's 12 tribes. There's one of the groups of the tribes. This is what sets them out as, as the priesthood. Is because they're willing to do what he's about to say. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. I love the fact that the founding of the, of the priesthood had to do with a sword. I love it. How many problems do we see from leadership in churches because 
we've decided that it's supposed to be very quiet, passive men who can lead God's people. We've got to be reverent. We've got to be quiet. Apparently, you're also supposed to be able to pick up a sword and do what's necessary. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and his friend and his neighbor. You think God's still mad at these people? The Levites did as Moses commanded, and in that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and He blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. (laughs) Listen to the next phrase. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Do you remember what I told you that I said to my friend? I was looking up Hebrew phrases, and part of it is part of a blessing on a day of Yom Kippur is for me to say, hey, may God inscribe your name in His book of life. Moses is saying, Lord, if you're not going to forgive them, then go ahead and take me out too. I'm overwhelmed at the grace and the forgiveness and the the mercy that I see in the Old Testament. I'm overwhelmed by it. Do you not think of Jesus Christ when you see Moses doing this way? Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Lord, would you put me in their place? Can I go to the cross? I'm going to go to the cross for them. Do you, do you not see this same thread throughout the entirety of Scripture? Verse 33, The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people back to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Um, Wade, we don't really see the Day of Atonement yet. I'm telling you where this is starting. Let's, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. I'm telling you where this began. And then we go through, Moses went back up on the mountain, gets the law again. Leviticus chapter 16. Are you there? Okay. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses. We are, we are setting up. Uh, if, you saw, if you had a title of the other chapter in Exodus, it was the golden calf. Here you see that it's the day of atonement. I'm saying that these things are, <laughs> there are events that happen in between but these are really just days and months apart. This event happened. This is still fresh in everyone's thinking. Then we, we have this. We get to hear, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses <clears throat> into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the, on the ark. The atonement cover. The place where you're supposed to sprinkle the blood. The very mercy seat of God. Actually, when, it, when it's Yom Kippur, the word kippur there is this cover, this atonement cover. That's what the day of atonement is referring to. It's actually referring to the very mercy seat of God. It is referring to this part of the Ark of the Covenant. 
on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover, the kapoor. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area. Area. Goodness gracious, sorry. With a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Um, was it Sunday that we examined the sacrifices from Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5? We had the steps that Pastor Eric put on the board. We had the different words and understood that the sin offerings were there. Do we not see how God is giving us a way back to His throne? We see this here in Leviticus 16 as well. There's a prescribed way. Let's uh, go down to verse 5. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull. Now listen to this. I love my church. I love the fact that we've, we've studied a scapegoat before, right? We've studied these passages before. I hope that you could tell me some of the next things that we're going to talk about. I hope it's not just things that we're hearing, but it's things that's getting ingrained into our heart because this is life. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering. You're going to find out as we read the next couple of verses, there's a part of this where Aaron is supposed to cleanse himself. He's supposed to, why are there this bull and why are there two goats and why are there these things that are going on? It's because Aaron has got to take care of himself. Then he can offer a sacrifice for the people. And then, after the people have been sanctified, then he comes back and re-sanctifies the tent of meeting, the altar. He, he then re-consecrates the very things that are God's presence. He, he's got to get his own life right. Then he works on the crowd, on the people, on the whole congregation. And then he comes back and makes sure that it's right even all of that stuff, all the sins that were offered, he comes back and re-consecrates these altar, the holy place, the tent of meetings. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meetings. He is to cast lots for the two goats. Two goats, but one sacrifice. One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. What is the word for scapegoat? Azazel. Our Hebrew word here for the, that is translated in English, scapegoat, is Azazel. We use scapegoat even in our common... It's a little bit of an older phrase, so some of you may not have heard it. <laughs> scapegoat. You're going to blame it on your brother. You're going to put your, your little brother as a scapegoat of something that you broke when you were a kid. Oh, it was him. That's all him. You're going to throw somebody under the bus is another way to put it. You're going to blame someone else for something that's going on. You're going to put all the problem with them and you're going to try to get off scot-free. They're the scapegoat. In the Hebrew, it's Azazel. What does Azazel mean? Scapegoat, it also means take him away. The one that's supposed to be taken away, right? Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. And again, I, I, I'm actually not intending to take a ton of time on this part because 
I feel like our church, I feel like you guys know a lot of this. So I'm just going to kind of talk through it and we'll skip ahead. So as this is going on, what would happen? We find through reading the Babylonian Talmud and we find through reading other things that they would take a cord. They would take some type of rope, a cord, and they would fasten it around the scapegoat's head. But before they did that, they would take a certain type of worm. Does anybody remember the type of worm? It's a tola worm. By the way, if you can't answer these, it's okay. These are things that have been taught repetitively. I'm intentionally asking for a response because I want us all to know these things. If you don't know it yet, it's okay. Just stick around and you will. Right? This is normal for our group. It's a tola worm. And they would take this tola worm and it had something about it that when you crushed it, it would cause this scarlet, this crimson, and they would dip the cord in the crimson. It was the closest thing to a Sharpie marker that they had back in that day. It was indelible. They could not get it out. Once you put it in, once it was on a fabric, once it was on something, it was stained permanently. And what they would do is they would take the rope and they would wrap it around this Azazel, this scapegoat, and they would mark it so that they would know which one it was. And they had this that would would leave this ring around it. It would leave a ring of crimson. Obviously, we're going to, get, we're going to talk about some, some places where as they made the crown of thorns and placed it on Jesus' head, this crimson mark around Him. What else did they do? Then they would take the cord and after they sent the Azazel away, they would hang it on the temple door. They would hang it over there. And you know what would happen? Is people would look and at a certain moment, God would cause... Though your sins be as scarlet, God will make them white as snow. Isaiah 1, 18. It would turn from scarlet to white through the effort of no man, but through the power of God. The scarlet cord that they had and they put on the scapegoat would, would um, divinely transform and be white. And all the people who saw it hanging and knew that it was indelibly marked would look at it and go... Though our sins be as scarlet, they will be made white as snow. They saw the example. They saw the example every year on what day? Yom Kippur. On the Day of Atonement, they would see it over and over and over and over again until about 40 years before Jerusalem was sacked. Jerusalem was conquered, destroyed in 70 A.D. 40 years before that, about 30 A.D. Hmm, wonder what was going on in 30 A.D. Oh, that's right, Jesus, they no longer needed to see the symbol because the reality had come. These are all, again, I, I know that you guys know this. Today is the day that that happened. Today is that one day when these things happened. If Moses came down from the mountain and in one day the people were so unfaithful, their hearts were demonstrated in such a vulgar, perverted, horrible way that the God of all creation says, I can't take this. I'm going to wipe you all out. In one day, in this precious day in the year, we see that the scapegoat, (laughs) these two goats, the one that the scapegoat and the one that would be sacrificed for sin. Uh, Look in verse 20. Still in Leviticus chapter 16, look in verse 20. 
says, when Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, as I mentioned, sacrificed the bull for himself and his household, made the sacrifice for the people. When Aaron Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar. There's three series of sacrifices that went on. Self, people, the holy place. It says, He shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. Pastor Eric spoke on Sunday and said that when they would make, an, make a sacrifice, do we remember? You're supposed to put your hand on the animal as they were taking its life. Why? You're supposed to identify with the power of the sin. In this case, there are two hands that are laid on this goat and he's saying, I'm now proclaiming, I am putting the sin of the people onto this scapegoat. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the sin of mankind is placed on Jesus. He is to lay both, both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The Jews would often assign a Gentile because who is a Jew wants to take this goat and take him that far outside the camp? almost like there's a pilot that's involved. A Gentile who's assigned to take him and order him outside of the camp. Hmm. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place and the man shall release it into the desert. The truth is, even though one was supposed to be killed and one was supposed to be taken away, the truth is, in practice, what happens if you let it go and that thing somehow finds its way back? Part of what practically happened is they killed this one as well. It's almost like the working that Jesus did on the cross we see here in different forms. Not only did He redeem us from our sins, but He took away the guilt and the shame that came as well. There was two goats and one sacrifice for the people. There was multiple functions even though there was one sacrifice. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments. Um, let's skip ahead to verse 29. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you on the tenth day of the seventh month. The tenth day of Tishri. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the month called Tishri. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, is the tenth day of the seventh month. You must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you, the ten days leading up to this, you're, you're considering your life. You're evaluating yourself between what you have done and what you really are and what God is expecting of you. There is a, the idea of a New Year's resolution. We get to a new year and so whether you like resolutions, whether you do them or not, the idea is that you rethink about your whole life and you try to fix the things that you know that need to be fixed. The average person last less than three weeks in their, their, their New Year's resolution. That's not really the kind of change that we're going for here. The priest who is in... Uh, I'm sorry. Verse 30. Because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. There's something like 25 or 26 hours 
that the Jews fast during Yom Kippur. To a little bit before, to a little bit after. To say, God, You are provision. You are all that we need. If You're with us, we don't even need to eat. Verse 32, The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father or high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meetings and the altar, and for the priests, and for all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Did you hear how many times they were saying lasting ordinance? Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelite, and it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. In one day, <laughs> we've already mentioned Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Uh, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. It says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, <laughs> the Lamb of God. I, I thought we were saying it was a scapegoat. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Hebrew language, the words for lamb, goat, cattle, flock, they're all basically the same word. When he's saying, he's saying, look, look, you should think about Azazel when you see John 1.29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes it away, who takes it off somewhere. John saw him and understood that the, the, the Yom Kippur that they had seen every year on the 10th day of their new year, every year was speaking and he saw the one who fulfilled it in his own sight. Turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Let's start in verse 12. You there? Then the, 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 then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound Him and brought Him first to, Anna, uh, to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. <laughs> he prophesied that it would be better for one guy to die than all of us. Perhaps it's better that we have this offering to the Lord. Perhaps because... The high priest understood the ritualistic part of Yom Kippur. He's like, hey, even in this, in this instance, a man who was going to be used to destroy him was actually prophesying God's will. It was God's will that one man take the place for the entire nation. Look in verse 19. I'm sorry, chapter 19. Verse 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and had Him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on His head. They clothed Him in a purple robe and went up to Him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck Him on the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing Him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against Him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, 
Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die. They're actually right. Because he claimed to be the Son of God. Not for that reason. But when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Did it matter where he comes from? No. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? One of the things that's amazing in the Jewish culture from me listening to, to the rabbi today, um, there is a word from the Talmud that is um, ha-satan. Ha-satan. This word is representing a barrier between, a disruption, an opposition. If I had to board you, ha-satan. Ah, oh, so you would have seen it on the board had I written it, right? Ha Satan. From this rabbi. It was interesting. He said, Those Christians have taken this word and they've made it mean a lot of different things. It's like, oh, oh, really? From his point of view, this was uh, basically, I'm going to give you my version of what he said. Hey, you Christians give. Satan, Satan, far too much power. His view is this, and it it really kind of shook me up today when I was listening to it. God is the one with all power. Any of us, whatever power we may have is what He is granting to us if we stay in our lane. He said, our angels are powerful. Yes, absolutely. He said, apart from God's power, they have nothing. They are nothing. Do we have? Oh, of course we do. Apart from God's, does Satan have power? Sure. But it's only, what, it's only the leash that God allows him to have is basically what he was saying. The part that hit me is how much power do we give Satan? Yes. Well, well, he's just attacking me. Seriously? I'm not saying that there aren't spiritual forces at work. Of course there are. And? Yes, he is. As a matter of fact, sometimes it, it may even cost us our life, the opposition that comes against us. And? I, I, there is a barrier between, there is a disruption, there is an opposition. Don't give Satan too much credit, folks. Battle him, defeat him, you have authority over him, move on. There, how many people are in a cycle in the wilderness where they just stay looping around the same territory because they never actually just move on in what God has given them. When you do, we know that the letters in Hebrew, especially the Paleo-Hebrew, there were pictures, they were symbols that had other meanings. When you spell out a word, they had sounds. They had meanings of other words. They also had numbers associated with them. The number for Hasatan is 364. They believe that they, the Jews believe that there could be opposition on every day of the year, but Yom Kippur. They went through and said, there's only so much opposition that can happen until God just comes in and says, 
on this one day, I can make it all right. I can make anything right. It's the entire nation was made right in a day. Come on. It feels like you can't get past it until you do. God, will my life ever change? God, I'm so tired of it being this way. God, I'm discouraged. I'm not as far along as I think. God, why? let me just encourage you in one day. Let me encourage you today. Why can't it be today? Why can't it be on Yom Kippur when he says, I can set it all right. I can set it all right. Everything can be right with your walk with the Lord. Today, in one day. Have you ever struggled with something and then it finally just clicks? You're wrestling with a problem and you're wrestling with it. You're praying and you're, Lord, I need you to show me something. Lord, I need you to show me something. Lord, I need you to show me something. And then all of a sudden he gives it to you and it's like, oh, clarity, purpose, direction, energy, life. Everything. Stop worrying about how long you've been in the position and call out to God for the day. I don't care how long it's been. I'm sorry that it's hard. I'm sorry that you have to go. I'm sorry that there's opposition. But Hasatan is opposition that we can overcome. There's a limit to what this guy has. Stop focusing. Stop being melancholy. Stop grumbling, stop complaining because you aren't as far as you need to be. Stand up, understand that it's today, and and get what he's got for you. Cry out for the Azazel. Lord, would you take the strife away from me? Would you take the sin away from me? Lord, I want to be so right with you that I don't even care about these things that are bothering me now. I don't care about the opposition that I've faced. I don't care about all the things where I've been shortchanged. If you're still thinking about how you've been shortchanged, you don't understand. You don't understand. If you think that God has somehow shorted you in life, you don't understand. And I am a frail person to try to explain something that is so good and so deep. You don't understand if all you can think about is, poor me. My God, what else does He need to do for you? He has died for you and He has removed the shame and the guilt from you. Why don't we stand up and move forward? Why don't we start going, yes, in Jesus' name, I can do this. If my sins were scarlet and now they are white as snow, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to act like I've been made white as snow. I'm not going to keep telling you and describing the red color that's there. I'm going to go, I'm white as snow. It's changed. But I don't feel like it's changed. I don't care if you feel like it's changed. Get up and move. Take this and say, Lord, I see it. (laughs) I might have opposition on every other day in my life, but I'm going to claim it. I'm going to move forward and understand that what you've done for me, that what you've done for me is valid. And though I may not feel it, I'm going to act in the reality that's there. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. (laughs) Hasatan did not bother him, right? Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, 
If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Ha ha, we gotcha. Checkmate, right? Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Yeah, yeah. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Azazel, Azazel, take him away from us. We're seeing it in English. It was written in Greek. Do you know what the people were saying? They were saying, Azazel, take him away. Azazel. They were calling him what he was. Take him away. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. Lord, help us. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Turn to Psalms chapter 44. For those of you in the class, you will notice that we have done a law, a prophet, and now a writing to go along with the New Testament. Psalms chapter 44. Such a good chapter, but let's just start in 22 for the time's sake. Yet for your sake, Psalms 44, 22. Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to slaughter, to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. So now what? So there is a picture of Yom Kippur. From the beginning of the need for Yom Kippur through the first occurrence in Leviticus 16 when we see what is prescribed, we see how Jesus perfectly reflected the Day of Atonement. We see how He was the scapegoat. He was the sacrificial offering for us. Great. Now what? Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to finish our night here in Hebrews. Are you all with me? Is this making sense to you? Hebrews 7. Verse 23, Hebrews 7, 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Isn't it amazing how really Jesus, from any perspective that you want to take Him, do you want to take Him as the sacrifice? You, you can exhaust yourself trying to find out all the minute ways that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Not only was He the perfect sacrifice, but He's the fragrant offering. Not only is He the fragrant offering that goes up to the Lord as the smoke, He's also the priest who does the sacrifice. Therefore, He is able to save completely. Everybody say, save completely. completely. He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives 
to intercede for them. Come on, if you're not encouraged by that, Jesus lives to intercede for you. The whole reason for the sacrifice was so that we can be made right with God, that we could be at one, we can have an at one an atonement with God. That was the whole point that everything was done. Even all the way back to Leviticus. Instead of destruction, he finds a way to bring us mercy. We deserve the destruction and every time he gives us the opportunity for life instead of death. Every time. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. Remember what Aaron had to do? Had to take care of himself and his family, then the people, then the holy place. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Is he not just going through what we just read in Leviticus? He sacrificed for their sins once for all. Um, My Jewish friend that I was talking to you guys about, by the way, she's about 72. I love her. I met her um, at at a property one day, and she was filling in as a property manager for a few months just until they could find the right person, and I absolutely fell in love with her. I mean, I just think she's the neatest lady. <laughs> she's a feisty lady, too. I like, I like them like that. I like feisty people. She, she said, well, I explained it to my Catholic friend. She's got a best friend that she's had for like 40 years, and she's Catholic. The friend is Catholic, and my friend Pam is, is Jewish. And she said, yeah. I was like, well, you Catholics have confession every day. She's like, we Jews have it once a year. <laughs> Where they come before and they can get right before God. I was like, well, that's kind of a, it's a cheeky way to kind of go about it, but I liked it. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak. Amen. That's the truth. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 9. Going to wrap it up here. Verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all. Everybody say, once for all. By his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on these who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? Priests could come and help cleanse you externally, ceremonially. The word for conscience there is number 4893 in the Greek. It's that part of us which bears witness. It actually is not only our our conscience, but our consciousness. These words can be interchangeable. It's that part of us that's actually self-aware. When God comes in, He can give us right perspective about ourselves. Yom Kippur is basically like this. If, If you were captive in a prison, and one day a year, 
all the doors swung open, all the guards left, all the watchtowers were emptied, and you're there in the prison. If you were to go around and do your daily routine, every door is open, every shackle is off, you're the only one that's there. Go around, you do your push-ups, you go shoot some hoops, you go to the mess hall, there's no cooks there, you just slop up some stuff. And right, my, my stereotypical uh, prison analogy, right? <laughs> Very movie-esque, I guess. Right, whatever it is that you think about it. Yom Kippur is saying, the door is open, my friend. When God cleanses our consciousness, He says, you're no longer bound to the same things that you thought you were bound to before because I am in you. Because I have set you free. Have I not done a complete work in your life? Of course I have. You're free. Act like it. The, whether we think too lowly of ourselves and aren't operating in what God has called us to do, whether we think too highly of ourselves and, and think that it's our power instead of His power, when He cleanses our consciousness, when He cleanses our conscience, we're able to see rightly about what's going on. Lord, I need to repent of that. Lord, I need to repent because I'm not doing enough of what you call me to do. I keep letting fear come in. I'm not letting your perfect love cast out all fear. I'm allowing all of these excuses to get in and out, and my excuses sound good. And I like my excuses. And I'm really convinced my excuses, but the truth is, is they're just excuses. Why am I not conquering the way I should? Even if God has you in a certain place and you think you should be somewhere else, perhaps it's because you don't have a clean conscience so you can perspect, uh, have the right perspective on this. Turn to chapter 10. Let's, let's end this. <clears throat> chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. If you are not able to come to God with full assurance of faith, you're missing out on what He has for you. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold... What's the next word? Unswervingly. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because we're awesome? Nope. For He who promised is faithful. When you doubt, when you allow bondage to be in your life, you are saying that He who promised is not faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deed. I didn't have time to talk about tonight the Hebrew understanding between personal redemption and corporate redemption. You know what happens a lot on Yom Kippur? There's a lot of talk in, for the Jews about these are the sins that we have committed. Whether it was personally applicable or not, these are the sins that we have done <laughs> because they're all going to get redeemed in a day. So they all understand the, the culpability of it. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. I'm going to tell the, this body, 
if you are here and you have not considered much of how you can spur someone else on, if you've only been focused on you and you're so struggling in your own walk that you can't ever look up and go, man, how, how, can, I, how can I encourage Peyton today? You know, how, part of how I can encourage Peyton is for me to live a life that's fully engaged in what God has for me. If I'm going to live unswervingly, I'm going to hold to the hope that I have, it may just encourage him and I may not even know it. And I'm going to try to do things that, that we both know. I want to try to encourage him. I want to try to encourage you. We should be trying to encourage each other. If we're holding unswervingly, if we've allowed and said, Azazel, Lord, you have been taken away for my redemption. I am now at one with you. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. When I think of Pastor Matt, I think of somebody who is running after God. And you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to run after God. I don't want to let my brother down. Well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it too. God, he's so passionate, man. I want to be like that. When, when I think about Larissa, I'm like, oh, I'm just so encouraged by Larissa. I want, to, I want to be like Larissa. Be as good of a dancer as Larissa is. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. <laughs> the day of the Lord. Would you stand with me? As we close...